back to the Brodacious Book Club, the podcast where we host a book club. And I haven't read the book. I'm your host, Matt Thomas, and with me is my good, good bro, the Joe Bro with the stand akimbo, Aaron Rockford. I've been told that this is a reference to Joe. What's the JoJo's Bizarre Adventure? So good. JoJo's Bizarre so Adventure. Which I just have a feeling that there's overlap. I, I, I'm sure. I'm sure some of our listeners will appreciate the reference. I'm sure they will. As I'm peer pressured into watching this anime. That's right. Every episode, we review a new book read by me and discussed with Matt. I often know nothing or very little about the books discussed, providing sort of a sounding board slash peanut gallery with occasional humor. Bent. Basically, the point is, if I understand the book by the end of the podcast, so will you, and that means we've done our job. Our goal is to help you, the listener, understand the sometimes humorous nuances of books and stories without having to read them. Because you're busy, and we get that. And of course, because we'll be diving right into these novels, we'd like to issue a broad spoiler alert. We'll be discussing major plot points and character development, so of course we will be covering some spoiler territory. And if you don't want spoilers, we absolutely encourage you you to read the book beforehand and then listen to the summary afterwards to hear our thoughts and analysis. And this podcast is meant for entertainment purposes. It's a comedy podcast and we mean no disrespect to the books or the authors that we discuss. And of course, as said, we always encourage you to read the books for yourself. We are not professional critics. We are just two people who think we're funny. Indeed. And with that preamble done, let's dive right into the meat today. So what are we reading today, Aaron? So today we are reading the first follow-up to the Wayward Children series by Seanan McGuire last year at some point, I think over the summer. I could have double-checked what month we put that out. We covered the first book in the series, Every Heart a Doorway. Today we are going to be covering the second book, which is also kind of a prequel, which is called Down Among the Sticks and Bones. Okay. You were saying that this is a bit of a prequel? Yeah. So, um, what do you remember from Every Heart a Doorway. <laughs> well, this is the one with the the lost children mm-hmm. and there were some children. I, I may be making my way into the, the content of this book here, so forgive me if I am, but there were two children in particular from that book who were, I think, twins mm-hmm. from a demented horror mm-hmm. world or something like that. Mm-hmm. Yes, and I think that you had mentioned when we went through that one, uh, Every Heart a Doorway, that we would be looking into the origin story for these mm-hmm. twins. Is that what this is? Yes, this is indeed what this is. Excellent. So basically, it's like scary Narnia. Kind of, yeah. For those of you who haven't listened to our episode on Every Heart a Doorway, um, you probably don't need to to understand this one. But if just in case, and we obviously encourage you to go and listen to that episode because we think <laughs> it's very good, even though there might be a couple side notes about Narnia in that one. Right, sorry. (laughs) (laughs) But basically it covers a world in which, just for some setting details, a world in which there are many of these sort of secondary fantasy worlds that all have different characteristics. They they have sort of a whole system of organizing them in the Every Heart a Doorway book along things that are more sort of nonsensical, like your Alice in Wonderland type situations versus your more logical like I guess Narnia would kind of fall into logical world according to the system right. in that like it follows some pretty strict rules. Yeah, no smoking caterpillars. Exactly, exactly. The other 
another axis that they typically use is virtue versus wickedness. Mm. And so again, like Narnia would probably be considered a virtuous world because at least ostensibly it operates according to things that we would consider to be like good and pleasant, even if the people within it are not always kind or, you know, good morally versus wickedness, which again might, I would say Wonderland, according to my understanding of it, might be more of a a wicked world in Mm -hmm. the sense that like it is more run by sort of the underhanded elements right and the wayward children series basically covers many of these different worlds and many of the children who visit these different worlds and while every heart of doorway is about children who have come back into our world like the quote-unquote real world and are trying to adjust this is a prequel looking at two of those characters from every heart of doorway a pair of twins named Jack and Jill. Right. Okay, Jack and Jill. And I seem to recall that Jack is actually Jacqueline, right? Yes. Yes. Jacqueline. Perfect. Jacqueline and Jillian. Jillian. Very good. Okay. Okay, great. So that kind of gives us a a sense for the main characters and a bit about the setting, but I feel like the setting is pretty important in this case. Would you you want to expand on that? So, I mean, we're going to we're going to see the setting as we sort of progress more through the book, obviously, but basically as we learned in Every Heart a Doorway, the world that Jack and Jill visited and were there for several years, it's called the Moors, and it's like you said, it's a spooky Narnia. It's kind of old school horror movie type setting. Like there's a creepy town with this mass and there's a sort of mad scientist character. If you picture your stereotypical, like, old school monster story, probably what comes to mind is something like the Moors. Mm, Okay, so kind of like, at least for me anyways, I'm seeing kind of like a a Frankenstein's village castle, very misty, pointy Victorian architecture everywhere. Yes, yeah, Yeah, a good image to have. It's sort of a little bit of Frankenstein Einstein, little bit of Dracula, mm-hmm. all, all kind of mixed in there. <laughs> yeah, kind of like Halloween Town meets Eastern yes. Europe type yeah. of thing going on. Yeah. Okay, gotcha. Lovely. Well, that sounds really exciting. So we we have our characters. We have a little bit about the setting. You mentioned this is a prequel leading into Every Heart of Doorway. Can you give us a sense, without giving away the plot right now, can you give us a sense for what the story is? Like what we accomplish? Is this a hero's journey type of thing? It's kind of a hero's journey it's like there are sort of two main characters in this book obviously there's Jack and Jill and it is in some ways a story about sisterhood and it is in some way a story about like finding oneself which many of I think we talked about this in the Every Heart of Doorway episode that a lot of the ways that they talk about worlds are as these sort of experiences where these children finally find places that they belong and finally find places where they can sort of discover their true selves So that's a strong theme, I would say. And in some ways, it's also a corruption arc, a a story about a character getting worse. (laughs) Because as you may or may not Mm -hmm. remember from Every Heart of Doorway, and spoilers for that book Mm -hmm. and that episode, Jill murders several of the children in an attempt to get back to the Moors. I do remember that, yeah. By building the perfect girl. Yes, right. Oh, good times. That was such a good (laughs) book. So we learn how she gets 
first to be that person. Right. Okay, very good. Then this is going to be a deliciously exciting, you know, delve <laughs> into corruption, as you said. Okay, and there, I might be misremembering, I, I very well could be, was there some sort of like a dark magic to do with this world? Or did each of the worlds have their own magic systems or something like that? Yeah, so each of the worlds sort of operate on their own, on their own rules, their own magic system, and kind of according to like how the world kind of needs to work. So like in this world, obviously like vampires and other creatures are real, whereas that might not be true per se in our world. Right. As far as we know. As far as we know. That's right. Okay, okay, gotcha. So just a a rudimentary kind of these things exist because they have to because that's the nature of the world type of thing. Yeah, exactly. Lovely. Some worlds have smoking caterpillars. (laughs) Some worlds have vampires. Right, perfect. Fantastic. Then in that case, we've got our context with every heart of doorway. We have our setting, the moors, very spooky, gothic, Halloween-y. We have a general sense for the arc, for the, the story progression finding oneself for better or worse you know corruption and we we know a little bit about the the magic system and the characters so take it away so we we actually start by meeting jack and jill's parents the Woolcots, and we learn that they are really big into tidiness and routine and they have a very strict way of going about their day and they like things that way and they are not people that should probably have children but they see other people's children and become envious of not the not necessarily like the love or like the experience of raising children but the fact that other people are praised for having children Mm. wow that's like the worst reason to have a kid very good absolutely the worst reason to have children. Mr. Wolcott sees that it's kind of a bonding opportunity for other people at his job to be able to talk to the boss about like, you know, raising their sons. Right. And Mrs. Wolcott, they, they're very sort of heteronormative, cis-heteronormative family structures here wherein Mr. Wolcott works and Mrs. Wolcott, I believe, doesn't. She just kind of does social events and like sees other friends and she sees that like she's kind of barred from some aspects of social Mm. life because of the fact that she does not have children whereas many of her friends do okay we get the sense that most of their relationships with other people and their understanding of the world itself is quite superficial ah okay and like clearly do not see babies as people but they both independently come to the decision that like they should have a baby gotcha. quick question if i may yeah so jack and jill's parents they're they're not obviously born in or from the moors they're from our world yes they are from our world do we know where in the world or what time period roughly yeah we probably roughly this would be like the 90s i know they seem like very <laughs> little antiquated you know 1950s <laughs> style family here but just based on the fact that every heart of doorway seems to take place in more or less the modern right. day and they are 17 ish okay at the time of every heart of doorway mm. we can assume that they were born in the 90s, okay, early 2000s, perhaps. That makes sense. Yeah. And uh, assumedly also the United States, probably. You got it. USA. Okay. Because again, the home that they are sent to, Eleanor West's home for wayward right. children, is in the US. Of course. So. Of course. Okay. So anyway, Mrs. Wolcott gets pregnant. It turns out to be twins. They're like super hopeful that it's going to be a boy and a girl because like they want that perfect 
symmetry, perfect family, <laughs> like uh, perfect appearing family. But of course, they have two girls, Jacqueline mm. and Jillian. They name them that, and the nurse who's kind of attending to them is like, "Oh, Jack and Jill, that's so cute." And they're like, no, 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 we won't call them anything like that. That's ridiculous. Of course not. Her name's Jacqueline. Her name's Jacqueline. We can't call her Jack. <laughs> right. That would be ridiculous. Right. So they grow up in this extremely orderly home with these parents who are very concerned about like conformity. They are raised by their grandmother in part. Basically, the first night they bring the babies home, they realize that babies do not conform to a schedule that they would prefer they might. So they call, I believe, Mr. Wolcott's mother, who comes by, and she's the one who shows them like unconditional love and tells them that they're special and that they will change the world. And she's like a positive influence in their mm -hmm. life, this grandmother. And we learn that contrary to what we kind of know about Jack and Jill from Every Hearted Doorway, they grow up very differently than sort of how we knew them. Jacqueline is the sort of dainty, cautious one, mm -hmm. and she's quickly decided to be the feminine one. Like, they mm -hmm. put her in this box very quickly. Whereas Jillian, who's quicker and wilder, they decide that she must be the tomboy. So they cut her hair short and ah. enroll her in sports and all this stuff. And the narrative lets us know that, like, Jill is only brave because she knows that Jacqueline is behind her and, like, watching her. And Jack is enabled to stay back because she is amused by watching Jill like run around it's not necessarily an element of being more dainty or more cautious mm. and we also learn that Mrs. Wolcott is always telling Jacqueline to make sure she stays clean to stay away from dirt to you know be very cautious which will eventually develop into Jack's like extreme fear of dirt and like mess mm. And when the children are five, their grandmother is sent away because she has outlived her usefulness to the Wolcotts. Right. So they lose this trusted adult figure. And their mother tells them that the grandmother forgot how to love them in order to kind of sever that tie. Oh. And so that sort of gives them, and, and Jillian especially, this idea that love is conditional and mm. can be taken away at any time. That is dark already. I can understand the direction the story is going in. Yeah. <laughs> we, yeah, we're already getting into some very deeply sad things. Very much so, yeah. And as they get older, they start to kind of resent each other as well because of the way that they're treated. Like, Jillian was, was praised for being a tomboy when she was a kid, like when she was really young, but as she got older, like, tomboyism starts to be less accepted by her peers, and Jacqueline is, is shown over and over again that attractiveness is what is important about her, not how smart she is. And so they're sort of stifling mm in these boxes that they've been put in but they don't really know what to do about that and so they just become angrier at each other. And so the sort of proper story picks up one day when they are 12 years old and it's rainy in a very sort of reminiscent of you know the Lion, the Witch and the Wardrobe. They're both kind of stuck inside. They've been left alone to amuse themselves which is very rare. They share a bedroom and they're both kind of bored and Jillian wants to go to the attic where there is a trunk that their grandmother left behind right. that's full of like dress up clothes. The attic and when they're out of view of their parents is the only time that they're able to be 
anything other than these very strict roles and there's excitement in that right so eventually jillian convinces jacqueline to go into the attic with her she bribes her by saying she'll do the dishes for a week so they go up into the attic and they find the trunk and when they open it and instead of seeing all these clothes and accessories and whatnot all they see is a staircase winding down Ooh. they're both a little bit off put by this but jacqueline wants to check it out and jillian of course has to go with her because she's the wild one absolutely she's the brave one (laughs) yeah so they have to both go okay they follow all the way down these stairs it's you know they're walking for ages and at the very bottom there is a door and above it it says be sure awesome Oh, I love this already. I love this already. Oh, and they they don't really know what they're agreeing to at this point because like who kn- who knows what's beyond the door? But they decide to go through it and they find themselves in a field, okay. a moor, if you will. Which for those of you who may not know, who may not read a lot of old English literature, is sort of like a, a flat field with like various plants on them i don't actually know what distinguishes them more from like a heath you know what we're gonna look it up we're gonna look it up i feel like in in like victorian english literature everyone's always running off onto the moors i agree well I, i'm looking up more field distinction and getting nothing at all i'm get you know what i'm getting i'm getting like soil samples and like soil- <laughs> things like that so let's just brush that brush that along and <laughs> It's a field. It's a moor. It's a field. It's a field and like moor sounds cooler than field. Agreed. It's creepier. (laughs) It is. As soon as they see this like wide expanse, there's like a sea on one side and like mountains on the other. Right. And they just sort of take off running. And Jacqueline is kind of allowed for the first time to run and be fast and be messy. So she's having a great time. And Jillian is for once not in competition for anything. Like she's not having to prove that she can be fast. So she actually kind of slows down and like stops. And when they finally take a breath, they realize that the door is gone and that the moon is overhead and it's huge and red. Okay. Like the blood moon in Breath of the Wild. Yeah. (laughs) And we learn that in the narrative is not necessarily something that Jack and Jill are aware of, but we're given the information that basically they have kind of this implicit choice of where to go Mm. within this world. So they could have gone to the mountains and we're told that it's where the lords of eternal winter live. And they also don't go to the sea. And we're told that's where that's a world caught forever at the moment of drowning. Wow. I think the Lords of Eternal Winter are like werewolves, but that might be speculation on my part okay but they've they've decided to stay in in the moors in the field itself and so they fall asleep there and the creatures from both the mountain and the sea sort of come down to check them out but they leave them alone because they've chosen to stay among the moors right and then when they wake up they keep going and they come to this enormous wall that is clearly designed to keep things out and they go up and they knock on the gate and they are let into this courtyard And the town within is apparently empty. Like nobody's out on the street, at least. The doors are all closed. Windows are closed. Nobody's outside. And they are approached by this man who is described as handsome and pale with orange eyes and a red mouth. Hmm. Okay. Interesting. (laughs) When he asks them where they came from, they tell him about this door that they walked through. And he asks them, were you sure? Are you sure? And they say no. (laughs) 
<laughs> not really. And then he thanks them for not lying to him. Mm. And he brings them with him to his his castle okay. that's sort of on the edge of the town. And he tells them that according to the law, which is sort of the rules of this world, he must give them hospitality for three moon rises, during which no one will draw upon your blood. Mm-hmm. And then after those three days, they will be subject to the laws of the land. Okay. And they realize as they're walking through this, this town that People are clearly hiding in their homes. And this mysterious man, he addresses them as Jack and Jill. And it's at this point that the narrative itself switches how it addresses them from Jacqueline and Jillian to Jack and Jill. Okay. And the man tells them to call him master, as most do, which is not necessarily what you want a grown man to be saying to 12-year-old girls. True. He also has to send for a man named Dr. Bleak as part of some mysterious arrangement. He offers the girls dinner. Okay. Jill gets to choose what meal she wants first, and she decides that she wants the rare meat. One of the dishes has like a rare steak on it. Okay. By rare, do you mean it's cooked rare or it is of a rare species? I mean, is cooked rare. Okay, gotcha. <laughs> it's bloody. Of course. Whereas then Jack is left with the peasant fare, which is kind of like potatoes and I don't know, some sort of mutton or something. And this Dr. Bleak arrives, and he and the master kind of quarrel a little bit Mm -hmm. and they make it clear that each of them is going to get one of the girls okay the master is more interested in jack because she looks very feminine and like looks more like i guess the kind of girl that he wants Uh. but jill is the one who has chosen the rare meat Mm -hmm. dr bleak says that whichever girl comes with him they get to make a choice they will be expected to work for their keep but he says that they will never be intentionally harmed under his roof Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. jack and jill argue about what exactly they should do jack wants to go with leek she thinks he's more trustworthy she doesn't really trust the master whereas jill really wants to stay in the castle we the reader are given to know that they're enjoying being reunited and like being on the same team kind of thing for once in their life but it's clear that that's perhaps not what fate has in store for them and jack who's like jack is definitely the smarter sister she's also a little bit savvier about what's happening she is able to pick up on the fact that the master clearly wants a matching set of girls uh like he's very interested in the fact that they're twins right okay but she worries that she's going to show jill up because she's the one who has been sort of trained to be like a perfect lady right she's going to kind of end up throwing jill under the bus if they both stay with the master she's going to put jill in danger okay there's also a servant in the castle this like older woman and jack asks the servant whose name is mary what will happen if they both stay basically and mary who it's implied at one point was once a girl who came through a door okay. and the master took her in okay and now is an older woman she says that the master Master will toy with Jill, but end up picking Jack and that that will break Jill's heart and that Jill will in fact be safer without her there. So that makes up Jack's mind and she heads down the next morning and meets up with Dr. Bleak and says, I've made my decision. I want to go with you. Okay. The master kind of threatens her. He and Dr. Bleak are in the same room when she comes down and, and chooses Dr. Bleak and the master is pretty clearly not happy about that. And he threatens to, to potentially 
eventually kill her, and Dr. Bleak is like, do you want to risk a fight between the two of us? Implying that they're at mm-hmm. least on some level of equal power within this system. Sure. And the master backs down, but says, my door is always open to one as lovely as you. Okay. Which again, not something you want an adult man to say to a 12 year old. No, tons of creepy overtones with this guy. And I get fair enough. It's a horror setting. Yeah. But I'm, I'm just really hoping that he wants to like murder her and kill her. And you know, like, <laughs> I think that's more of the implication. Yeah. It's just also bad. Just, just, a little gross, but that's fine. It's it is what it is. So Jill, meanwhile, who wasn't let in on any of this discussion, she feels abandoned by her sister, and at the same time, she really likes that she's being treated like a princess, kind of for the first time in her life. Like she's being given food, and she's offered pretty dresses and all this stuff. Right. And when she learns that Jack is already gone and that she chose Doctor Bleak, she feels sympathy for the master for the two of them, kind of having. Been been rejected at the same mm-hmm. time and she goes to the master and says that she actually chose him first like she had declared that she wanted to stay with him before jack had d- done anything and that kind of like warms him towards her as well right and he asks for her loyalty devotion and obedience and the narrative lets us know that both girls had come home i see okay dr bleak takes jack outside of the walls to his dwelling which is an old windmill and it's full of specimens and like you know mad science things like right whatever your mind is conjuring a like dr frankenstein-esque character having in their laboratory picture that again victorian era or older style um technology right and she has to sort of work hard for the first time in her life but she likes the work and she says she doesn't know all that much but she's willing to learn from him the narrative explains to us that like if the girls had had their own pick and choosing of like what they could have done or not done this would have been perhaps a lot different Mm -hmm. but for Jill in particular feminine things for her because she's always been slotted into this role of a tomboy feminine things have this like air of the forbidden fruit to her like Mm. she wants these things really desperately and they feel kind of not allowed as she's getting sort of set up she is told that she must wear a choker at all times, especially when around the master. Okay. To protect her throat or to keep it covered. Okay. And then we get a bunch of information kind of in fast forward motion. We hear about how Jill becomes known as the master's daughter. Okay. And the village people start to talk about her as not a vampire yet. Oh, okay. The idea is that the master is kind of grooming her and has groomed other children in the past like other young girls in the past to become sort of his progeny perhaps vampire children sure like he has attempted to take in girls as his daughter and it has just never worked out yet gotcha so so at this point we're explicitly told that the master is a vampire the orange eyes yes. the red lips okay yes yeah i think that's the first time that that's that word is used it might have been used earlier on like we're told that jack and jill weren't really allowed to pick their own reading materials mm. and so neither of them really really have any concept of like vampirism right and and then meanwhile jack is working hard and learning how to do science stuff and the village starts to speak of her as like a replacement for dr bleak and we learn about how like the women of the town figure out how to like keep the smell of their blood at bay like when they're on their menses 
the text uses that word. Wow. Because like the smell of blood is not a thing you want to have on you. Sure. On the moors. Okay. <laughs> Generally. Just because it would, the implication being it would attract vampires? Vampires and maybe other things as well. Gotcha. Okay. So the the master is a vampire and yes. the other townspeople are not. Yes. The other townspeople are regular people. Gotcha. Okay. I believe most of them came from other worlds at one point or another. Oh, cool. It's explained at one point that there aren't a lot of like natural born children to the moors Mm. but it does happen occasionally and jack also like helps out like when she discovers something that will like help with keeping the smell of blood at bay for example she like gives it to the rest of the townspeople and like forms a good relationship with them meanwhile the master eventually starts drinking blood from jill when she reaches a certain age and he promises to love her and to make her like him when she's older so to make her into a vampire when she's older Mm -hmm. there's also an anecdote where Jack and Dr. Bleak bring a girl back to life mm-hmm. using the like lightning electricity method. Right, right. <laughs> We're told that this girl died when some phantom lover kissed her too deeply, which is a really interesting turn of phrase and also an image of life in this world. That's right. That's right. I was going to say just Moore's problems, you know? Yeah, just <laughs> hashtag just Moore's problems. That's right. And we learn that like if a heart is undamaged, it can be restarted by this like lightning method and that it's actually kind of good news when this happens because somebody who has been brought back to life cannot become a vampire so they are safe from the master's influence cool that's interesting it is i wonder why i'm curious as to what the magic mechanics behind that are in this world and and i'm i'm guessing by your expression we don't get the answer to that but i'm just curious yeah it's sort of just like vague (laughs) logic unclear gotcha but this girl is named alexis and she and Jack become romantically involved. Okay, gotcha. Jack and Jill are both about 16 at this point, I think. And we also learn about how the Moors generally do not produce their own children. Alexis is one of the few outliers to this. Mm -hmm. And in fact, Dr. Bleak and the Master both themselves came from other worlds originally and sort of grew up in their roles. Like, they were trained by people before them. Well, trained in Dr. Bleak's case, turned in the Master's case. And Dr. Bleak is pretty sure that Jack and Jill are going to sort of become the new versions of them. Mm -hmm. And that they have the symmetry between them too, which also kind of helps. But he wants to make sure that Jill, like if not refuses to become a vampire, he wants to try to help Jill remember her humanity. And so he is continually sending Jack on errands that will put her in Jill's path Mm -hmm. to try and remind them of their bond and remind Jill particularly of the fact that she is human. Right, totally. So again, they're about 16 at this point and in trying to send, send Jack on one of these errands, Jack is escorting Alexis back to town after, you know, they were hanging out at the the windmill and Jill shows up while Jack is having dinner with Alexis's family and of course the family is like kind of freaked out by this they're all like keep our heads down don't insult her don't say anything right Jill insults Alexis and Jack kind of argues back but then is like oh I shouldn't have done that Mm. I don't want to put these people in danger so she apologizes and says like oh I actually came to see you sister like Mm. 
Mm-hmm. And they go shopping together. Oh, lovely. Yeah, just a little bit threatening. But yeah. it's kind of implied that, like, Jill is perhaps not the most stable person even at this point. Like, it's implied that the master kills anyone who gets close to Jill. Mm-hmm. Like, any friends that she might make. And Jack even realizes that Jill is, like, desperately lonely because the only people she talks to are the master and this one servant. Mary. The, the villagers are obviously like terrified of Jill as they do this shopping trip. <laughs> like Jack promises to buy her a present and the shopkeeper is just kind of like, here, have it, have it, have it for free. It's fine. Yeah. And Jill asks Jack to come home, by which she means like back to the castle. Right. And Jack is warned that Jill is jealous of anyone who speaks to Jack. Okay. This is about when we learn that the servant Mary is herself a child from another world and that she also was taken in by the master and like was going to be sort of raised as his daughter, but that she didn't want to be ruthless. She held on to her humanity and as a result, he like killed her friends in front of her and then made her a servant as opposed to elevating her to vampire status. Right. So they pass the fifth anniversary of their arrival in the Moors. So they've been there for five years now, which also they mark as like they're definitely 17 by that point. Mm -hmm. And it's sort of this unspoken rule that until they're 18, there's a chance that their door could reappear. Okay. And so they could end up going back to their own world and so that's why the master has waited to change Jill because there's this rule that like even he doesn't break that like we can't take the risk of sending monsters back into worlds that are unprepared for them okay it's kind of implied that this might be the reasoning behind like folklore and like various mythological Mm. monster stories that like maybe in the past this was not a rule and that happened Mm -hmm, mm -hmm. so they're sort of waiting until they're 18 like Once they're 18, they will be sure that they belong there, basically, that they're there for good. But Jill is impatient, and she wants to be a vampire really, really badly, and she wants to prove that she is ready for the change and that she's ruthless and that the master doesn't need to wait. She's already sure. And so she sneaks out of the castle, and she ambushes Alexis, who is on her way to meet Jack, and kills her. Oh no. Okay. Yeah, and so then we we cut to Jack who's waiting for Alexis to arrive for like a little anniversary present giving event because they're counting this as their birthday even though it's not but like time is weird right Dr. Bleak cautions her to be patient and he specifically like specifically the wording that they use is like raise no corpse before it's time which I think is kind of a hilarious again just Moore's things statement yeah just (laughs) just Moore's things and even like the names right like Dr. Bleak. Oh, so good. I didn't write it down, but we learn at one point that Dr. Bleak's predecessor was named like Dr. Grimm or something. Like they've all got these names. Oh, awesome. Um, which makes me wonder that if Jack like obviously Jack ends up back in our world but if Jack did in fact become yeah like what would Jack have taken on a different name? 
<laughs> upon becoming like the new doctor. Dr. Payne. <laughs> also, I don't believe this man has a medical license, but that's neither here nor there. <laughs> but she she doesn't really listen to him. She goes out to try and meet Alexis because she's worried and comes across her body. And we're not given a lot of detail about what has happened to Alexis, but we're told that her body has been significantly damaged to the point that they can't tell if her heart is still in her body because that's the important part for the resurrection. You can resurrect somebody more than once, mm -hmm. but you need the heart. And also, even if you have the heart, things can go wrong if you're trying to resurrect somebody more than once. Mm -hmm. It's not good. It can go wrong. Okay. So in an attempt to try and find a heart, potentially, Jack follows the blood trail. And at this point, she doesn't know that it was Jill because it's the Moors. Anything could have happened. But she follows the blood trail, follows it back to the village. And when she's there, she finds Jill surrounded by townspeople who are like screaming at her, throwing things at her. And Jill is just like stunned. She doesn't understand what's happening. She's like, no, you can't do anything against me. You can't hurt me. You know, I'm under the master's protection. Like I'm his daughter. And Mary, the servant, comes out and tells Jill that like, yes, the master is a vampire. And yes, he does sometimes eat people from the village, but it's also his job to protect the village from anything else in the moors. Mm -hmm. And by killing someone from the village without his permission, she has kind of violated that whole situation. Mm -hmm. And so he has revoked his protection of her. So now she's just a normal girl at the mercy of some townspeople uh -oh. who are very angry. Yeah, And Jack is kind of overcome by... She's obviously hurt by the fact that her sister has murdered her girlfriend, right. but she also remembers the fact that when they were very young, they used to be close. And she remembers that their grandmother told them to watch out for each other. And she remembers kind of wanting this loving relationship with her sister and feels sympathy for Jill and Jill's situation. So she rescues her. She grabs her and they just take off running because Jill's kind of stunned, can't really react. She's just like overcome by shock. And so they take off running across the moors, followed by like a crowd with Porches and pitchforks. Pitchforks, I love yeah. it. <laughs> Again, very stereotypical, like old monster movie stuff. And they reach the windmill and Dr. Bleak knocks Jill out so that she can be more pliable. Mm -hmm. And he apologizes to Jack for what happened. And she thinks, we're not the ones who made the monster. The master did that. We're just the ones who loved her. She says we, but obviously she means herself. Right. And Jack reflects on the fact that she was given sort of the better upbringing. Like she was raised by Dr. Bleak, who was perhaps not always affectionate, but was at least like a stable non-vampire presence. <laughs> and that she knew Alexis, who very much like helped her stay human, helped her learn how to love and to see the other villagers as human and to like interact with them. Like Alexis was very much her gate into this. And she realized ultimately that she loved her sister because of the relationship she had with Alexis. Mm. And Dr. Bleak says that like the master has revoked his protection, but if the villagers kill Jill, he will still be mad about that and he will retaliate on the village 
villagers. And so Dr. Bleak's plan is that the only way to save everyone is to send both Jack and Jill back to their own world. Right. He tells her to stay away for a full year and then to come back, but she's not allowed to bring Jill back. She cannot bring Jill back alive. Mm. So he makes a door for them using whatever science magic he has. And Jack carries Jill through and then carries her back up these stairs that are, again, the same ones that they went down all these years ago. And when Jill wakes up, Jack tells her that the Moors kicked both of them out. Right. Which is what will eventually motivate her to do some murders. in every heart of doorway but jack could not see that coming i guess so they climb out of the trunk back into their attic and they come down the stairs they're still wearing like their weird clothes from the moors they're more clothes yeah. um, they're more clothes like jill wears these like flowy elegant gowns right and jack wears these button-up shirts and like yeah. practical pants and when they go down the stairs into the main area of the house they see their parents their parents have like a new son sitting at the table and are just like completely shocked to see their their daughters that they thought had vanished right because they've been gone for five years remember i was gonna say is that how time works like it was five years in the real world too yeah in this context yes five years is five years okay and the last line of the book is and the two girls clung to each other and wept as outside the rain came down like a punishment and nothing would ever be the same oh wow Wow. And then they, in the next book, get sent off to the, yeah. the the boarding school and yada, yada, yada. Yes. Wow. Okay. That was very fun. That was very fun. It was my, my initial reaction is just how fun that we got to enjoy an entire story in such a classic horror setting, you know? Yeah. Almost a stereotypical horror setting, right? Yeah. <laughs> so fun. Yeah. I think the, the Moors are like a really interesting setting. Especially for the first of, like, this is the first of the spinoff books that came out a year after Every Heart a Doorway in 2017. Mm. It's interesting to me that they went, like, this is obviously very different from what you picture if you're thinking about, like, Narnia or Wonderland or anything like that. But I think it's such an interesting, if you're going to do, you know, all these multitudes of worlds, like, of course you do Mm -hmm. a horror one. And I think it's fun to see, like, all these little elements, like the vampire and the doctor. And of course, there's there's this implication and like this sort of like I mean very much that element of like just Moore's things that there's just monsters Mm -hmm. inside the walls wandering around like that's just a facet of life there so cool so cool just just really enjoyable and it must have been so much fun to read and get the Mm -hmm. get contextual cues like that like the details really fun really fun Mm -hmm. and and a credit to the author that they were able to construct such a world yeah it is very nice but that was lovely that was lovely I guess I, I really only got one or two things to, to touch on and, and point on and unpack. But before we get to that, just what were your thoughts on it? Did you enjoy it? Uh, did you were you satisfied? <laughs> does it does it deliver as a standalone piece? Or is it only really good as an accessory to every heart of doorway? Yeah, I mean, I can only speak from the point of view of having obviously read every heart of doorway as right. well. I do think it stands 
as like an interesting standalone piece. Like I do think it can be read that way. I do think that's like pretty enjoyable. Obviously you're missing some context. You're missing some follow-up on like where these characters eventually go Mm -hmm. afterwards. But, you know, even without that, I think this is a complete story. Like we get a complete arc for both Jack and Jill here. Mm -hmm, mm -hmm. Yeah, totally, totally. And it leads into the next one so nicely, right? But, But okay, beautiful. I just, from the sounds of it, I was satisfied. I love the the horror genre. I don't usually really get a whole lot of it. You know, I can really engage with it a whole lot, but I really enjoy it. I think it's real lots of fun. And and yeah, just enjoying the, for me, the biggest thing, I think you, this is clear because I've been going on and on about it. For me, the characters were cool, but for me, it was all about the mm-hmm. setting, just the, the village and the, the spookiness and the creepiness. And it really came alive in my head. Mm-hmm. So that's really what I enjoyed the most. And that's what satisfied me, you know, mm-hmm. the, the characters were definitely added to that and were definitely cool but yeah i wonder this is a question i have what what do you make of the character of jill having learned obviously a little bit more about her here and having like seen sort of what she becomes Mm -hmm. in every heart a doorway Mm -hmm. well that's a big question what do i make of the character jill i mean now that you've seen her upbringing right and i don't necessarily mean her upbringing at the hands of the master i mean her her upbringing at the hands of her Mm -hmm. parents it it all makes much more sense now doesn't it and in particular her isolation from humanity from her own humanity Mm -hmm. from anyone who could remind her of that I I noted as we were going through the the narrative shift when they enter the moors how their their names switch from Jacqueline and Jillian to Jack and Jill I I saw Mm -hmm. that as almost a a liberating thing you know like they're free Mm -hmm. to be who they actually are but then Mm -hmm. not really at all for Jill right Mm -hmm. you know locked away slowly chipping away at her humanity becoming less and less who she is and more and more who the master needs her to be Mm -hmm. and then you know people do crazy things through desperation which we see through the next book right Uh, yeah and that like it's an interesting dichotomy or I don't know if dichotomy is quite the right word but it's an interesting exploration of this whole idea through every heart a doorway that like children find the doors that they need and that there were obviously elements of this world that called to Jill and elements even of her life with the master that called to her like this temptation of like the feminine and the Mm -hmm. the beautiful and feeling important and feeling wanted in a way that she hadn't before Mm -hmm. that like obviously like resonated with her but it's it's complicated by the fact that she very much fell into the lap of an abuser like that's it i don't think that's that's too far of a of a leap to make (laughs) not at all not at all he he was he would kill people who get close to well, I don't know if he did specifically to her but you know like it was explained that that's what he did to Mary you know it, and and the fact that he got her to pledge her absolute mm-hmm. loyalty to him and and things like that just absolutely mm-hmm. abuses the right word and so it's this it's this question I guess of like was there ever a different path for Jill like yeah. like I don't know that she would have been like Jack obviously was fulfilled by her work with Dr. Blake and like really enjoyed that and it doesn't seem like Jill would have been fulfilled by that either that like maybe there is a version of this where she becomes a vampire and lives a beautiful vampiric life Mm. but like the fact kind of remains that the way that she got there would always be very difficult and like dehumanizing 
Mm-hmm. Oh, absolutely. Absolutely. Yeah, no, I, I wonder what would have happened if a character like Alexis, for example, were mm-hmm. never introduced and Jack lost a little bit more of her sanity. And I don't know, would that mean that Jill regains or retains a little <laughs> bit of hers because she wouldn't have killed Alexis and mm-hmm. wouldn't have been pushed to that extreme? I don't know, right? It really does make you wonder about alternative paths for these girls. But all to say, though, I, I think that you you absolutely hit the nail on the head when you said that they weren't getting what they needed on Earth mm-hmm. from their own parents. And that as soon as they went to the Moors, they kind of, in a twisted way, did mm-hmm. get what they needed. Mm-hmm. Uh, but It was at least better suited to their needs than their life on Earth was. Indeed, right? I mean, their their parents, the, the textbook bad parents, trying to fit them into boxes mm-hmm. that they, they were too big for right that they so my next point was just going to be be sure that was that was just cool that was just cool i I don't know i i don't really have much analysis here other than (laughs) be sure this is the path that you want to take but yeah just cool just cool gave me shivers you know yeah and and i like that there's and this was present in every heart of doorway too the level to which agency plays a role in these stories that like Mm -hmm. the the children are sort of given this chance to back away and they do not and that's why we have a story which i mean is how lots of these things work but imbuing it with that element of like warning almost like be sure it's not informed consent by any by any measure Mm -hmm. but by giving Giving that, and same with Nancy in Every Heart a Doorway, the protagonist there, that she had to similarly be sure of her own path before her door would reappear. Right. And I think that she was also told to be sure. I also find it interesting that, so they, they go through the door, they're in the field, they run around and have a good time, they turn around, the door is gone. That option is no longer there, they can't go back. Mm-hmm. And at least my understanding of that from, from our discussion was that even if they wanted to go back they they couldn't mm-hmm. right but then at the drop of a hat when need be dr bleak can conjure a doorway mm-hmm. that's interesting and I, I, I don't know you you're the one who, who actually read the book and was in these characters heads did they ever at any point want to go home were they ever unsure no no not never no like i think jack had some misgivings perhaps but she very much finds like she finds her her work with dr bleak to be interesting and to be fulfilling her misgivings were mostly about the master which understandably right and like despite the fact that again there's all this all this inherent danger in life in the moors and there's all this like constant kind of threat that they're under that like this is still home Mm -hmm. for them and we see that even in every hearted doorway where for listeners who may not recall that book ends with jack killing jill and then taking her body back to the moors Mm -hmm. because she's able to open the door again now that jill is dead right so like when given the choice she chose without any real problem without any real hesitation to go back there absolutely and obviously jill also wanted to go back there because she was willing to murder several people to do so right indeed yeah (laughs) i'm i'm curious is there a sequel that revisits them in the moors and what happened there is yes oh no way okay okay are we gonna do that soon maybe i would love that because i'm very curious now to find out what happens next i would probably have to review a little bit because there's let me pull up a list of these books actually because there's i think the next book is one that follows up with the characters like in sort of the present day yeah beneath the sugar sky in an absent dream is another prequel which which world is that 
that visit out of curiosity? It's in the Goblin Market. Right, yes, okay. Which was mentioned in Every Heart a Doorway. And then the book after that, which came out last year, Come Tumbling Down, is again mm. a continuation of the storyline and involves Jack and Jill again. Very good. Well, we'll have to revisit that. Yeah. I'm very curious to find out what happens next in the Moors. But I think we would have to read at least Beneath the Sugar Sky first for some context about plot relations that I don't entirely remember. What happened? Yeah. <laughs> plot relevant things. Yeah. Yeah. Yeah, I looked back at my notes and yes, in fact, we learn in Every Heart of Doorway that Nancy, who you may remember, went to an underworld, sort of a world of the dead and danced with the Lord of the dead. And he sent her back to the quote unquote real world in order to be sure. Mm, Yes. So interesting that that phrasing appears in both these stories. Indeed, indeed. It makes me wonder about just the broader magic system of all Mm -hmm. these worlds and how they interact and Mm -hmm. I mean clearly Dr. Bleak knows a thing or two about it since he was able to create a portal just on a whim using his science magic yeah I think science magic is a good way of describing it. I think it is too. You said that earlier and I latched onto it. I like that. I like that. Because it's like, it's science-based, but it's definitely not what we would recognize as science. It's it's science-based, but we couldn't do it if we tried, you know? It's science according to the laws of this world, which are not logical. That's right. right. Yeah. And you know, I'm I'm curious as well, as this is just a little thing that I'm wondering about. At the beginning, speaking of the laws of this world, when they first arrived and the master said, your blood won't spill for three three days or something to that effect. What does that mean? Does does that mean that like other creatures of the Moors can't attack them? Or was that like the village people or what? I'm curious. I think it was anything. Like they are completely safe for three days. And I don't know if that's like, I don't know what would have happened if that had been broken. Mm. It's unclear if that's like sort of a politeness rule. Like obviously the master kind of lives by these kind of rules of, you know, society or if it's like something bad would have happened to him. Mm-hmm. if he had broken those rules. It's unclear. I gather that it's kind of like the vampires have to ask before they enter type of thing, you know? I think so, yeah. 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 We do, on an interesting note, in at least one of the other books, I know we do see the world of the drowned people that's in the sea. Really? I don't think we've seen anything about the mountains yet, but we do learn quite a bit more about the moors. I would, oh, that's exciting because I, I was actually just thinking, I'm really curious about the power structures in the moors and I know these aren't things that you really should be thinking about, right? (laughs) I should be thinking about the plot and not about how the, this fictitious world works, but that's just my, you know, my curse. (laughs) No, but there is a lot of really interesting world building in these books. And I think they do give, there's definitely trade that happens that they reference at one point between like the village and the sea. There's some kind of trade that happens. So cool. So cool. So I don't think we get any details about the trade, at least not in this book, but Well, looking forward to it then. Yeah. I see what you mean now about a corruption arc. (laughs) (laughs) Well, yeah, with with Jill specifically. Yeah. That she kind of goes a little bit evil. Okay. Well, that's maybe a reductionist term for what happens to Jill. But like her morals get worse, let's say. That's right. (laughs) I mean, she kills someone, right? She She does, in fact, murder someone pretty horrifically from what I gather. Oh, my goodness. From context clues. She didn't, for what it's worth, she did not take a Alexis's heart. Oh, good. I don't know if that was a question that you had hanging over you, but 
Well, actually, the the question, which I also deemed irrelevant for the podcast and therefore did not ask, but since you've prodded, I will, was if you do have a heart that is in good condition, but you don't have the body, but you have another good condition body with that heart, if you put the heart in and zap it, who is that? Who does that become? I mean, it's an interesting philosophical question, if nothing else. <laughs> it sure is. It sure is. I And I'm, I'm now trying to recall if that's addressed in one of the further books it might be but just just a little a little taste but i don't i don't remember in enough detail to answer that question well if it is addressed Mm. well although i don't have any other questions or real analysis (laughs) to share i will just say that i hope that they bring jill back because what an interesting character yeah i hope they bring her back to life and they kill the master together or something (laughs) and i I don't know i don't know (laughs) (laughs) well and and the the point obviously to be raised like i think jack says at the end of every heart of doorway as she's heading off back to the moors that her plan is to bring jill back to life and the the important aspect of that is that once you have been brought back to life you cannot become a vampire too true so too true i guess we'll see how that unravels won't we yeah yeah, I I think that I asked about this earlier when we were going through, but I'm also curious about why that is and whether it has something to do with and you, you read. So please provide any context that you know, but if it has something to do with like lightning, electricity, light, vampires don't like light, heat, he will burn or whether it's like you've already died and come back to life. And so you don't have your soul and becoming a vampire destroys your soul. And if you have no soul to destroy, then what are you going to do? I, I'm I'm just curious. Yeah, and if I had to if I had to guess, a lot of the Moors is kind of set up as this dichotomy of like science versus not science. I don't know what to call right. what to call the other side of this like because it, it's not quite magic, it's like monstrosity, I guess, but mm-hmm. like you can also create science monsters, but like science versus supernatural maybe is the, the okay. right term. And like obviously the master and Dr. Bleak represent the different sides of that and the idea that like they alternate taking children and the idea that they are more or less evenly matched despite the fact that the master ostensibly seems to have more powers the idea that like dr bleak is kind of a a match for him that they are Mm -hmm. antagonists they are rivals so if i had to guess the once someone has been brought back to life via electricity and then therefore cannot be made into a vampire if i had to guess it probably has something to do with like the idea that they have been kind of claimed for the side of science Mm. oh that's really interesting i'm glad that i asked then because wow that was a fantastic answer that's so interesting thank you that might just be me speculating but still though at this point you know like speculation's fun speculation's half of what we do it is it is oh that's interesting curious to to see where this story goes in the sequel yeah we'll see we'll see if i've forgotten an explanation for that and that is in one of the other books it's always possible you never know so well then aaron would you like to introduce the next book? Yeah, so next episode, we, I think, are going to be doing a bit of a, a, a new thing in that we're going... <laughs> You're looking at me in curiosity. I was thinking we would do the TV show meets book Uh, thing. Yes. Oh my goodness. That sounds like so much fun. As listeners may know, if they're sort of plugged into like book Twitter, book community stuff, Leigh Bardugo's, uh, Lee Bardugo? I'm very sorry if I don't know how to pronounce her name. I should have looked this up. Her Grisha verse series, which is a somewhat well-known young adult fantasy 
trilogy is being adapted into a Netflix show. It's called Shadow and Bone. It premieres on... Give me a second. It premieres on April 23rd. I guess probably the whole series will drop because that's how Netflix sure. works. Good point. <laughs> so, <laughs> and we will attempt to mix our information together and see what happens. Oh gosh, this is so exciting. It's going to be wildly experimental and we're going to see how it goes. I love it. Experimental podcasting. Sounds good. So yeah, stay tuned for that. Stay tuned for that. Wow. <laughs> I'm looking. I'm also looking at today's date and realizing that by the time this episode goes up, the TV show may have already come out. That's always possible. <laughs> fine. It's all good. <laughs> That's fine. If that's the case, then that's fine. Well, then in that case, if you've enjoyed listening, and presumably you have since you made it all the way to the end, please leave a rating, a thumbs up, a like, or a subscribe, depending on your respective podcast streaming platform. It really makes all the difference, and we really appreciate it. We see every single one. And you can reach us at rodaciousbookclub at gmail.com. We're also on Facebook and Twitter as at bookbrodacious, or you can just search for the Brodacious Book Club. We're also eligible for an Aurora Award, which is a science fiction fantasy awards uh, here in Canada for any of our international <laughs> listeners. That's the word. <laughs> Depending on when this episode goes up, the voting period may have already closed, in which case I will edit this part out of the episode. But in the <laughs> off chance that it is before April 24th that you are listening to this episode, if you would like to nominate us, that would be super cool. We are eligible in the best related works category, I think. <laughs> fantastic. Fantastic. It's an honor just to be nominated. <laughs> it's an honor just to be eligible. That's right. You're right. Exactly. Eligible. That's it. But in any case, thank you so much for listening. I've been Aaron Rockford. I'm at Pineapple Fury on Twitter. And I'm Matt Thomas. And I'm at MSThomas95 on Twitter. And uh, be sure. Be sure.